on the latest episode of Real Health with me, Carl Henry. I'm delighted to be joined by international best-selling author Heman Sunim, telling us what to do when things don't go your way. When we are, you know, very young and have a first love and the first love did not work out, we feel as though this is the end of the world. However, we learn that is not the case. We move on. We find some other people. We begin to see that uh, when things don't go your way, uh, maybe it's not the end. As ever, we're available on all podcast platforms. Shachtan, an Indo Askeliga. Time in Mon Irokti, a yen of Chacht Erachor, Agasuligum, a Makan Shaw, Gurfeder Echor, Inuik Kart, Len of Winterfein. Skilti, Fis, Turmi. Tashe Dochretche, Nach Vetok, Ara, Igornamion, on Kestian Echo. Vientolum againom Griv, Orkar Nrachtum. Find us on all the usual podcast platforms. Today on the Indo Daily, a convicted fraudster, 40 cousins, and the multi million euro will. It's not quite the Bull McCabe, but there is a field, a very big one at that. You see, last week, the High Court ruled that the vast estate of a deceased but once very wealthy widow be divvied up across some 40 relatives. Have I got your attention? I'm Siobhan McGuire and today's episode brings a very Irish story involving land, money and a suspicious will in Galway. Joining me is Sunday Independent journalist Maeve Sheehan to tell us more. Maeve, you had this story in the Sunday Independent at the weekend and it was the headline that just grabbed me immediately. A convicted fraudster, 40 cousins and a will that's worth millions. What is going on? Mm. Well, this was certainly one of the most intriguing court cases I've come across in quite a while. It has Everything like from an Irish perspective, you've got the wills and we're all obsessed in this country with wills and who gets what kick into the mix then. This person nobody's ever heard of. I mean, it's not the Peter O'Toole, the actor, but a guy called Peter O'Toole, who turns out to be a convicted fraudster, who's the beneficiary of this will. You've got a solicitor who has had findings made against him in the past by the Law Society. Um, And then you've got 40 cousins who are going, How the hell did this guy end up being the sole beneficiary of this will when, in fact, he's the black sheep of the family? And of course, there's a farm, farm land property. So, uh, yeah, much to keep us intrigued in this story. And you're so right, Maeve. Uh, The obituaries always uh, keep us interested in Ireland. And then you have the likes of, say, The Field, written by John B. Keane. Oh, I know. I and know. any rows over land, it, it keeps, yeah, yeah, us, yeah. keeps us uh, interested, yeah. doesn't it? In fact, it would take a John B. Keane to really do justice to this story. He would just love it. As somebody said to me the other day, like, there is eating and drinking in it, you know. So the story really starts with Margaret Hernan, who uh, was an elderly widow. Uh, She lived in a farm um, uh, in Bushy Park in Galway. 
her husband, it was her husband's land, Frank. Um, he died in 2005, leaving her a widow. She had various people help her with the farm and the land, which was very, very valuable. It's on the outskirts of Galway City. Like anybody who knows Galway will know that Bushy Park like, is a very kind of, um, you know, it's a, an affluent area. There, there's huge demand for property in the area and so on. And she was sitting on quite a substantial amount of land. Lots of it was zoned, um, some of it rather was zoned residential. She also, like by the time she passed away in 2017, she was um, a very wealthy woman. She had 750,000 euros in the bank as well as all this land. And throughout the last years of her life, when she lived alone, she... um, she didn't have any immediate family. She had no brothers and sisters. So, and she didn't have any children with Frank. So her only relatives were a big extended family of first cousins once removed because all her first cousins had passed on. So there was a huge number of first cousins once removed, many of them still in all that Bushy Park area of Galway. She had all of this land And she had, there was no one obvious person she was going to leave it to. She had a huge number of um, distant cousins. Some of them were very closely involved with her and would help her go to the shop because, you know, she didn't drive. Uh, She had mobility issues. So some of her cousins were closer to her than others. But in any case, she was a wealthy woman and everybody knew she was a wealthy woman. You know, everybody was aware that the land she was sitting on was valuable land. Because the estate was worth an estimated €9 million, Euro, Maeve. Now, I know it, it was valued somewhere between 2 and €9 million. I mean, I'll take either, to be personally yeah, honest exactly. with you. Yeah. It's a phenomenal amount of yeah, money. Yeah. So you can understand why if there were so many cousins involved and, and you know, rightful heirs to this money, given that she didn't have children of her own, you can understand the interest in what happened next and how this man, Peter O'Toole, was suddenly into the picture. Yeah. And the interesting thing is that Margaret Hernan's family or extended family and particularly her solicitor, Maeve Joyce, her long-standing solicitor, were very aware that, you know, she hadn't made a will and tried to encourage her to make a will. And Margaret Hernan, she was very reluctant to do that. She couldn't make up her mind. And at one stage, Maeve Joyce, who gave evidence in this case, said that she thought it was because Mrs. Hernan was afraid of making the wrong decision. She found it hugely stressful to try and make a decision on who should get what. You know, she was it, it was obviously something that was um, very stressful for her. So there had been efforts to try and get her to make a will. And um, when she passed away in 20, March 2017, she hadn't actually made a will. Maeve Joyce, her solicitor, hadn't been able to get her to sign on the dotted line. And um, so... Maeve Joyce assumed, well, she's passed away intestate without a will. So Maeve Joyce then began writing to all of the extended cousins to tell them Mrs. Hernan didn't leave a will. All of a sudden, in August 2017, Maeve Joyce gets a phone call from a solicitor who tells her, Liam Gallagher just came into my office and presented me with a will for Margaret Hernan. And Liam Gallagher now is a retired solicitor who was a 
is known to be a friend of Peter O'Toole's. And uh, he had since retired, but went into the solicitor's office with the will, which he said was Margaret Hernan's. It was signed by her purportedly. And Liam Gallagher was down as the executor of this will. So Maeve Joyce was very surprised, to say the least. And because, not least because Margaret Hernan, who had been her client for 15 years, had never, ever mentioned Liam Gallagher. But if she was surprised, the family was downright suspicious because the beneficiary of this will, the main beneficiary, was none other than Peter O'Toole, the black sheep of the family, and a woman whom uh, one of the cousins said, or a man whom one of the cousins said, uh, Margaret Hardin would never let inside her front door. This is where the story becomes so fascinating, Maeve. Will you tell me a little bit about Peter O'Toole? What do we know about him? I mean, he was born in, in Moy Cullen, one of nine children. Peter O'Toole uh, began to get into trouble with the law in his early 20s. In 1974, there was a really shocking uh, crime in Galway City where a wages clerk was shot dead in a robbery, um, a bank robbery. The wages clerk had gone to the bank to take the, the week's wages for his um, employer and he was robbed and he was shot. This crime was really um, shocked uh, the city at the time. There was huge outrage at it, a big guard investigation. And among the people arrested was Peter O'Toole. He was not known to the guards at that time, but his family would have been known and his family were very respected in the area. No history of involvement in, in anything like this ever. And he was questioned by a, a Garda sergeant called Pat Anglam, who's now retired, who later recalled how Peter sat there in front of him saying nothing, wouldn't speak. And then eventually he started talking and uh, the guards were looking for the gun that fired the fatal shot. They needed that to solve the crime. Uh, they needed that for, for evidence. And uh, he said that Peter O'Toole took him out, showed them to the gun hidden in a wall, at the end of the day, maybe that stood in Peter O'Toole's favour because he got, uh, I think, a two-year suspended sentence for possession of a firearms without a certificate. So he walked off without a prison sentence or anything. And you would have thought, well, that might have been that lesson learned. After that conviction in 1975, rather than go off and uh, accept, you know, that he'd learned his lesson, he turns up in London on charges of fraud, of obtaining property through deception. There's charges for forgery. You know, he's actually convicted of that. And there are a whole range of crimes. I think he has about five convictions in total, bringing him up to the 1980s. Now, Maeve, this all makes perfect sense why you said to me earlier how Elizabeth Hernan referred to O'Toole as the black sheep of the family. There was another incident that I remember reading in your piece last Sunday that related to a dispute over a digger. And the judge described that as something out of only fools and horses. What happened there, Maeve? That's right. Yeah. Peter O'Toole was involved in this uh, crazy escapade in 2009. And uh, it was reported at the time in one of the local papers and it's probably the only description we get of one of his crimes um, because none of the others tend to be reported. In a nutshell, a man says to Peter O'Toole, I'm looking for a digger. Peter O'Toole 
uh, tells the man that he knows another gentleman who can provide him with a cheap digger. So the man gives the money to Peter O'Toole to pass on to this other person. And of course, the digger never materialises. The man complains to Peter O'Toole, where's my digger? And the whole thing then escalates into this fake hunt for the the digger and the man who supposedly promised to supply this digger cheap. And the whole thing ends up in court where the judge describes this whole escapade as like something out of Fools and Horses and accuses Peter O'Toole of being the main player behind the whole thing. And she, of course, probably rightly suspects that, you know, she's not getting near the full story of what happened. So it kind of gives a flavour of O'Toole's kind of antics and his behaviour and, you know, how he might be a bit of a manipulator and able be able to maybe pull one over on someone. And so, Maeve, we have... All the cousins you mentioned earlier, and now some made statements within this whole um, High Court case, right? After it emerged that Peter O'Toole was the main beneficiary of this will, his distant cousins were, I suppose, understandably suspicious. And they had several reasons for that. One was the fact that Liam Gallagher, none of them knew that Margaret Hernan had gone to Liam Gallagher over a will. Um, She always used her own solicitor. It's been with the same firm for 40 years. One of the cousins gave evidence in court about how they knew that Liam Gallagher was an associate or used to do some work for Peter O'Toole. So that added to the suspicion. And then there was Peter O'Toole himself, who was the black sheep of the family. One cousin, Gus Keelhan, said he was a blight on the family. They came together and decided that they there was something dodgy about this They smelt a rat, rightly or wrongly, and they decided that they wanted to challenge this will. So they're launching their own investigation into this. They came together, formed a committee. One cousin came forward to take the case. That was Gus Keelahan, and he did that on behalf of all the other cousins. He sued Liam Gallagher, who, as the executor of the will. Uh, Peter O'Toole was a witness in, in the case, and he was a big protagonist in the case, but the person sued was the executor. Uh, Liam Gallagher. And what they claimed initially was that the will was, um, it had been forged. They alleged that the will was produced uh, as a result of undue influence and they alleged that it was produced as a result of deceit. At the end of the day, they dropped the forgery claim and they dropped the undue influence claim and ultimately they claimed that the will was obtained by deceit. They and cousins said in court that they just felt that they could not allow the will go unchallenged and allow him to uh, inherit uh, Margaret Hernan's estate wrongly as they saw it. They wanted to challenge that. Um, Now, it was pointed out that they stood to gain financially by challenging the will. um, But Gus Keelahan told the court that he felt it was the right thing to do. And so, Maeve, we we have the result from the High Court last week. But we also have some interesting information about um, Mr. O'Toole and Cab. After four days of evidence, both parties decided that they would settle the case. 
So the cousins dropped their allegations and Liam Gallagher agreed to settle. What it meant was that Peter O'Toole would walk away with his half of the estate and the 40 cousins would get the other half once the um, high court costs were taken out. Look, it's still a lot of money. The legal costs would make a huge dent, but Peter O'Toole would still walk away with quite a huge amount of cash. It turns out that the Criminal Assets Bureau has been looking at Peter O'Toole for some time. And last year, the revenue branch of the Criminal Assets Bureau served him with a tax demand. Now, John Kerrigan, who's a detective guardian in Galway, gave really fascinating evidence during the case about Peter O'Toole's criminal past and also the current interest they have in him in relation to another alleged fraud. But he also told the court that the Criminal Assets Bureau had served a tax demand on Peter O'Toole, I think in uh, spring of last year. Peter O'Toole is, con- is appealing that tax demand. What it does mean is that he doesn't quite walk into the sunset with this nice sum of money in his back pocket. It's not quite the ending he would have hoped for, no. He's got the Criminal Assets Bureau revenue section on his tail. He's still under investigation by Gardaí in relation to a separate uh, fraud involving another elderly gentleman. And he's also found himself making headline news in national newspapers, something which I'm sure would not be comfortable for him. And my thanks to Sunday Independent journalist Maeve Sheehan. I'm Siobhan McGuire and today's episode was produced by Garrett Mulhall. Research by Avian Fallon with sound by John Smith. If you enjoy the Indo Daily, don't forget to like, follow and leave us a review.